Well, we continue on here through Arthur season 19 through the holidays. We just had our first snow over here of the season, not of the year, of course. But uh, yeah, we're just trying to just trying to, to deal with everything that's coming our way. This is not the new year yet, right? We, we haven't, for those viewers at home, we time travel a little bit with these episodes. It's not quite the new year. No, goodness no. Okay, okay. I was I would hope there would be a little bit more fanfare uh, if we were entering a new year of Arthur. But I suppose second episode of a new season is about as close to the new year as we can get on this lowly little podcast of ours. Well, not 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 quite second episode. We're on to, we're on the third episode now. Oh my goodness gracious! See, the time is flying you're all, by. Well, you're all I'm you're all, all turned. I'm all mixed up. I don't know what year it is. I don't know what episode we're on. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's a little bit of these uh, snow-induced doldrums. It's messing with. I need to get one of those seasonal depression lamps to shine shine some sun in my room because I don't know if up is down, left is right. I think um, I think my wife tried one of those one time and it worked out okay. I Gave think. her a sunburn. No, no, thankfully not. I would I would remember that. I th- I, th- I think that those seasonal depression lamps are like they're fine. You know, I don't think they they don't make like a huge a huge difference. Yeah. You got to get a sauna. That's what's going to make a real big difference. I was reading oh, the wiki- would... Wikipedia article for sauna the other day. Apparently, they were invented by Finnish people to make them not kill themselves. Uh, And because it's just like it's so depressing in Finland, it's like night all the time. Um, And uh, they weren't like popular in the world at large until World War II because the Finns uh, demanded that saunas be built like next to their trenches and stuff because that's how important saunas were to Finnish culture. And then other people in the Axis powers uh, saw the saunas for the first time, and they were like, oh, this is actually a pretty good idea. I would love a sauna. I have not been in one for a good while, but I think I could use a... Ooh, that's the way to go. Yeah, I think I could, I think I could use a good sweat, but uh, yeah, hopefully this is like your audio version of a sauna, the Elwood City Limits <laughs> uh, podcast, the Episodic Arthur podcast. It's Will Young with Lucas Mancini. We do have something that we want to get to. Of course, it's we have a we have an email to read here from uh, Elwood City Limits at gmail.com. I do want to make sure that I just say this for everybody, and this is one more time a big thank you. To everyone who nominated and voted for us oh, yeah. in the 2023 Best of Halifax Awards put on by a local paper that we both enjoy, or paper, I guess, publication called The Coast. All Unfortunately, weekly. this this year was, was not our year, but we do want to thank you all for taking the time to do that. We appreciate every year when you when y'all mobilize like that and as i said we're not going to have too many more uh, opportunities to do this given how we're going through the uh arthur schedule so far but i think we will have at least one more next year so we'll give it a good try then as well and you know as i say every year and as my linkedin says it's an honor to be nominated it is an honor to be nominated. I really do appreciate that we even get that far. So uh, we'll see what next year has to bring, but thank you no matter what. All right, on this email, which is from Ashley Hollingsworth. Hey, Will and Lucas, we're finally at the point 
where I stopped watching Arthur. I remembered many episodes from season 18, but I'm not familiar with much of 19, including Brain's Brain, which was the season premiere, which I was not a fan of. Unlike Lucas, I didn't enjoy their magic school bus-esque journey. It felt so off-kilter for Arthur. On top of that, it was too educational TV for me. I understand I'm not the core audience, but Arthur usually does a good job imparting lessons to young viewers without being too obvious. This was just over the top, especially the Dora the Explorer-like questions in the cold open. The episode just left me with so many questions. Why is Brain hosting this egg hunt? Why did he write the names of scientists on them when the kids can't read? Why are DW and Bud going on a journey inside his brain? What was even the moral? Uh, that your brain is complex and important? It was just weird and not in an entertaining way. I was bored the entire time. I liked Brain Sea Stars a bit better, but it was nothing amazing. This was not the best way to kick off season 19. I will say that I love the shout out to the contest. I always love seeing those Easter eggs and callbacks to past seasons. It feels like a nice bonus for longtime Arthur fans, though I wonder how people who are unfamiliar with the old seasons think about references like these. Podcast update. I finally made it to 2022 in the backlog, currently wrapping up season 14. Man, you are motoring through that. I've gotten used to hearing the now-dated pop culture references and news that it feels so bizarre to hear you guys talk about Biden and things that are still culturally relevant. I'll be a little sad once I'm all caught up because I won't be able to binge the podcast anymore. Luckily, I can still binge for the kids since I recently joined the Patreon. Very much looking forward to that as I regularly watch PBS Kids well into my 20s. And remember a good number of the shows you guys talk about. Also, I'm very excited to watch Arthur's Perfect Christmas with your commentary. I've been waiting to do it all year, and now I finally have my chance. Very good point, Ashley. Of course, that is available for free on the free feed. It's also on our YouTube. And I believe that PBS Kids is streaming Arthur's Perfect Christmas on their YouTube, which is available for our U.S. listeners. So if you want an easy way to sync up commentaries, you just have to open the two YouTube videos. For Canadians like us, we'll have to find other means to watch Arthur's Perfect Christmas. But our commentary is available to you no matter what part of the world you are in. On a different note, just wanted to say thanks to you for always making me laugh. This year has been really rough for me. I won't get into detail. And during my hardest days, I would throw on the pod to relieve some stress. Even now, I'm having an annoying day at work. And yet, just listening to you guys riff has me smiling and laughing. Thanks for the giggles. That's from Ashley. Uh, glad that we could help, Ashley. And thank you very much for listening and uh, being a part of our Patreon. Really appreciate that. Yeah, I can't imagine trying to... <laughs> trying to go through our backlog and then in 2016 we're talking about you know the newest Arthur memes that are just being cooked we're still in the uh, still in the Obama era I'm pretty sure mm, I, I wonder if we'll be able to sense the vibe shift for lack of a better term you know <laughs> Trump era Arthur and then Biden era Arthur um, what will be the implications of the presidency on Arthur Good question. I mean, hey, if you're, we always love to hear about where people are in the backlog. It is considerable at this point, so feel free to let us know. Uh, ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Thank you, Ashley, for the email. And our thanks are also going out to our patrons, patreon.com slash ElwoodCityLimits. And, of course, want to let you know, as Ashley mentioned, one of our side series is called For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast. And we recently had... Our our latest episode of that show about Let's Go Luna, 
We are going to be, of course, continuing that into the new year along with ECL Origins, but we're going to be taking it a bit easy in December on the Patreon content. I do have a uh, written list coming up pretty soon that I hope that you all will enjoy that is, will be Patreon exclusive, but now's a great time to catch up either on the backlog of the main feed or on the backlog of our shows, and again, it is only a dollar a month, and you get access to all of our bonus content, which includes not just those two podcasts, but also movie reviews, videos, and way more. And of course, you get all of the ECL episodes a week early. And we want to say thank you to patrons such as Rachel Pearson, Peebs, one of our favorite uh, guests and uh, in information, fonts of information. Uh, Thank you to Lily W. and to EJ Acra. Thank you to Emmy the Ghost and Kirsten. Thank you to Lauren Rodriguez and Derek Richopo. Thank you to Kaija and Melissa H., Thank you to Oscar Vest and to Emily Kay. Thank you to Anne Perry. And thank you as well to Maisie Rose Sterling and everyone else who supports us on Patreon. Lucas, uh, we don't have a double bill this time, but we do have a couple of interesting ones that I'm excited to talk to you about. We're starting it off here with Arthur's Toy Trouble. So this this is kind of relevant to where we are in the year because it does start off with a present. And Arthur having to open it at a very specific time because we start off in a dream. Arthur's dreaming that he gets a present that says, do not open until midnight. And I also thought that this scenario that happens is a little bit similar to another Christmas, uh, a movie set at Christmas that you may consider a Christmas classic. Oh, what what would that be? That'd be Gremlins. The first Gremlins movie. Except you're not supposed to feed them after midnight. So it's kind of a inverse of it uh i love this sequence the, it's it's so kind of weird and stilted the way that arthur floats around you immediately know it's a dream uh yeah. he's like moving around without using his legs which is really creepy and odd it kind of does the thing where like time doesn't make sense it's very dream logic i feel like in dreams whenever you're waiting for something to happen in a dream it never actually comes to fruition and then you wake up so i liked that where he's like okay five more minutes to midnight and then it's always five minutes to midnight uh, yeah. And then to add to kind of, yeah, the gremlins comparison uh, and the cr- general creepiness, um, DW comes out of the present and there's a bunch of, it's a miniature DW. And then there's like an army of mini DWs that kind of close closes Arthur in. Um, and then a regular size DW is there with a joystick uh, ostensibly controlling them, uh, saying that she is now going to be rich and take over the world. I also liked in this sequence, we actually start the dream with Arthur doing the, like, the walking on the earth like he does in the opening, except he's doing it the other way, which I liked that visual callback. And you're right, the whole, the the present turns out to be this swarm of tiny DWs, and I loved this delivery. There's some some really good lines in both of these stories that we're going to talk about. Arthur opens the door, and DW says, I can do anything I want now. I'm rich. which she got this army of small hers and this is arthur's anxiety that he's given dw this access to money that she would have never had before and it's all his fault so the actual episode has to do with grandma thora she gives arthur a gift of a mutant muck monster toy which seems to be a creature from the black lagoon type of monster 
But this one has a factory defect. It just has a normal guy for it for a head instead of this green gill man like monster. It's just like a normal dude with big glasses. Yeah, it, it, he looks like um, Austin Powers. He does look a little bit like Austin Powers, right? And those those types of like what what is that style of glasses like with the big black rims? Does that have a name? Oh yes, it does have a name. Um, it's like something horned horned glasses. Mm, uh, I don't know if they're horn rimmed because aren't those the ones with like the points at the ends? Oh, true. You're just talking about like big plastic rimmed. Yeah, glasses. I think uh, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. It's very mod, though, and hence the Mm. Austin Powers comparison. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But Arthur's not really impressed with this. He keeps kind of going like, oh, I'm the accountant monster and and this sort of thing. So he actually just ends up giving it to DW because he doesn't really want it. Uh, We see a couple of instances here. I noted it here, but he does come back of Sharky. So we saw Sharky in a recent episode. And I'm glad that we're still getting use out of him. Uh, but DW is just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, I'll have something to feed to Sharky. Then he and Buster and Muffy are at Meteor Comics, which means the return of, I'm sure that he was throwaway character of the week when he showed up, Freddie K, the owner of Meteor Comics. And they're talking about this toy. And then Freddie teaches them a little bit about valuable collector's items. I should I I, I should, what what I should say is that they don't they don't start at the comic shop. Uh, Buster and Arthur are kind of talking about this toy and like maybe it's like maybe it's so old that it's valuable. Maybe it's maybe it's rare. Uh, I remember this because I wrote down Muffy. Uh, they say something about like you, you never know. It could be like uh, you know like jewels and Muffy's like jewels. <laughs> well, putting it into terms, Muffy understands um, exactly. Continues to be, listen, they, they don't actually make Freddie K say or do anything that's as kind of mean to this kind of class of guy as, like, for instance, the, the Simpsons equivalent would be comic book guy. But just the way they make him look, you know, they've made him true to life with this kind of guy is kind of like. Um, and Freddie K's getup of the long sleeve shirt under short sleeve shirt and the short sleeve shirt, you can tell, is tattered and worn because yeah. like, there's a chunk out of his collar. And also, Freddie <laughs> K is just general... I'm just looking at a freeze frame of him right now. And, like, his goatee, his hair. They, he's one of the only Arthur characters they give forehead wrinkles. Right. Um, there's there's just a vibe that Freddie K gives off. But I'm, I'm delighted that we're seeing him again. Also, I like Freddie K in describing, you know, how rare some of this stuff is, kind of getting mad at the kids. There's a part where one of them picks something up and Freddie K goes, don't breathe on it. Um, and I also <laughs> like Freddie K's most valuable possession is a 1948 um, Scrappy Bazooka, ba- f- Scrappy Balooza, Scrappy Balooza, Scrappy Balooza, 1948 yeah. Scrappy Balooza baseball cart. Yeah, he's he collectible things being very valuable and uh, teaches them how to kind of handle these things. He does have that card. He also has this weird sized toy car that doesn't fit on uh, the, the track that it's supposed to go on. I think he, he appraised it at like $75,000 or something. It, yes. it was something it was, it was a wild figure like that. He also says to them that, uh, all kinds of things can be valuable. For example, the first Superman comic 
which is action action comics number one, which is like, oh, so Superman exists in Arthur. Oh, true. It wouldn't be the first Bionic Bunny comic. No, and it's funny that I, I don't I don't necessarily think it's a mistake because of course a lot of things in our world exist in Arthur. But now I guess we have to reckon with the fact that Superman and Bionic Bunny exist in the same universe. And hey, we have a lot of characters in real life that are just Superman with the serial numbers filed off. Like Superman, Homelander, Century from Marvel Comics. It's like they're all basically the same. So it's not that they can't exist together, but I always figured that Bionic Bunny was like the Superman stand-in, just as Dark Bunny is for Batman. Figure figure this one out, Arthur fans. Superman and Arthur... Superman, the fictional character, exists in Arthur, which means, I guess, DC Comics does. So I guess the Snyder Cut exists in uh, the Arthur universe, too. Oh, man. Does Twitter exist in the Arthur oh. universe for people to complain about it? Yeah. I mean, I, because that would probably, that's the reason why the Snyder Cut eventually got released, right? So I guess Twitter would have to exist in Arthur. Mm. Which means, I guess, X is, exists too. True. Which means, which means that Elon, Elon. Which, which means that Elon Musk exists in Arthur. Elon kind of we weirdly we, already looks like... Um, you know when Arthur, they get lazy with the uh, celebrity guests and they just make Matt Damon with animal ears? Yes. For some reason, Elon just kind of already looks like that. No, he doesn't have animal ears, but he kind of looks like whenever they do cartoon Matt Damon. He does look like he is poorly drawn in real life. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. He, like, it, his, there's, a, there's a stretched quality to his face that's like we're trying to illustrate what this person looks like. But we just can't have their face move too much. That's a really that's a really good observation. Anyway, we keep going with extrapolating where these come from, but uh, I just wanted to make sure to make note of that. This whole conversation leads Arthur to think that his toy might be valuable, but now he's worried because DW has a hold of it. He literally thinks that DW might just like tear open the packaging with a chainsaw. So he rushes back home with Buster, and he. Offers to, he he offers to buy the toy back from DW for a buck, but then of course, classic Buster can't keep his mouth closed uh, to save anybody's life. He accidentally spills the beans that it could be worth money, and DW refuses to sell it back to him at this price point. So now, DW has the toy. She's gonna get rich. But key point here, Grandma Thora said when she gave Arthur the toy that there was another one just like it where she got it. So Arthur has a bit of a protracted phone conversation with her about which store she got the toy from. We also get a mention here of Arthur's cousin, Cora. Now, that's a character who thankfully uh, never really showed up again after her first appearance. One of the most hated characters on the show, if you ask us. And only a mention here. She mentions buying a present for cousin Cora and... Grandma Thora says she's quite particular. Yeah, no, that's a very diplomatic way of describing what we know about Cousin Cora. But eventually, Arthur realizes that it's David's toys, and he and Buster have to race to beat Muffy to David's toys, because now she knows that the toy is valuable. She's going to try to get it first. We have this big, long race sequence that sees them going through Muffy's in her limo and Arthur and Buster on bikes. Somehow Arthur and Buster end up driving through uh, a bowling alley, biking through a bowling alley. Yeah, I liked this kind of gag of this is some classic, um, almost Mel Brooksian 
kind of gag work here, chase montage of they're biking and they're they're you know making chase and they're in locations that don't really make sense. You know, you'd half expect them to go past the Eiffel Tower or something. <laughs> Well, and they almost do. They 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 bike past an image of the Taj Mahal, but it's like the local uh, tour. Um, oh my god, T- travel agent, travel agent. Um, and Muff and Muffy is also getting way late. There's a part where they have to stop for an old woman crossing the street, and Muffy. You can we. We're learning to like Muffy, but every once in a while, she's a bit regressive when she goes, "Ugh, pedestrians." <laughs> Muffy on the wrong side of this debate here. <laughs> they get to David's Toys. Muffy gets there first. And the the David's Toys sales rep, I don't know if this is David himself, but why does he, he has a voice like he owns an enchanted chocolate shop. He's just, he's just very much like, I think I do have a toy just like that one. Yeah, this, like, was, this was an odd, you know, contrast this with Freddie Kay. Um, David, I, I don't know, he kind of gives off the vibe of, um, how, like, Smithers, you know, Smithers collected Barbies, and he had his, like, Barbie room, um, or rather, Malibu Stacy dolls. Yes. So, David is more that kind of collector, as opposed to Freddie K is more of your comic book guy style collector, to use two Simpson analogies. And, yeah, it just just got kind of a weird vibe off of this guy. Muffy throughout the this whole the rest of the episode is the antagonist to the point where they even have her say curses and foiled again and I was just like I bet the writers loved getting to give her that dialogue so Arthur and Buster get there all like almost at the same time and she and Muffy very gently struggle over the boxed figure because they don't want to get their fingerprints on it they don't want to you know ruffle it or anything like that uh the the clerk determines that because arthur touched it first he gets to buy it but it looks like he doesn't have enough money on his own arthur even says like he takes some uh, some coins out i think he has half it's like 650 or something like that arthur has half and then he says do you take promises (laughs) that's so funny and then muffy immediately follows up with it's like, no, no promises. Cash on the barrel head, which was really strange to me. I looked this up. This is a saying that I didn't know about. Do you, cash do you have on... the etymology? Yeah. What does is, what is cash on the barrel head mean? Yeah. So cash on the barrel head is a, is a saying that means uh, immediate payment. And cash on the barrel head was like when people would demand payment in bars, they would put it on the head of a barrel of alcohol. So they'd be like, cash on the barrel head right now. And then that's that means pay me immediately. I, and so I, I think it, I think it's like English in origin. But yeah, it's just like I've never heard this before. <laughs> and funny that uh, that that Muffy knows about it. Uh, Buster offers to help Arthur, to which Muffy immediately goes, you don't have any money. He doesn't have any money. <laughs> this is a good choice of of. Muffy as the antagonist, somewhat. Muffy and D.W., it's kind of got, gives this episode an old-school flavor, because uh, they were kind of the old tried-and-two uh, foils in a lot of early Arthur episodes. Mm-hmm. And it, she's 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 getting some really good lines in this one, too. Great deliveries by Melissa Altro, her voice actor. Uh, Buster does actually have quite a bit of money in his pocket because he's been saving up for his own cheese wheel. So he's willing to give it to Arthur, and they manage to buy the toy. 
and Arthur agrees that he will split whatever money that he has with Buster because he helped him. They're thinking like $2 million. Uh, This means that DW will have her own $2 million, but at least they have a million apiece. They take the toy back to Freddie K, and he estimates that the toy is worth around $5 if they hang on to it for 10 years, and that uh, factory defects like these are fairly common and don't actually add to the value. Um, I think when Freddie K initially is like, oh yeah, it's a factory defect, Arthur and Buster go, yeah, defect. Um, I, I think I said this when Freddie K shows up before. His voice reminds me of Fred from Scooby-Doo. Like when I was just doing his voice, there was a little bit of like, you just do the Fred voice, but you take it up an octave. Yeah, and that's maybe what I think about his mannerisms and his dress are very kind of accurate, but his voice kind of seems incongruent with the rest of Freddie K's vibe. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't classify Fred from Scooby Doo as a comic book collector, but no. I, I, I suppose they wanted to. You can't just give him the comic book guy voice either, because that's kind of a distinct pop culture reference point. So it's it's kind of a tricky situation. So they're defeated by this. Buster says, my cheese wheel. But they leave and they decide to make the best out of it. They just kind of crack jokes about uh, about the way that the toy looks. Arthur says, I am the accountant from 20 Fathoms. And Buster replies, oh no, don't audit me. So they just have a little bit of fun riffing about it. And the episode ends with Muffy trying to negotiate with DW to give to buy the toy off of her. And DW's price for buying it is very, very high. So we'll never know if DW actually made a mint off of this thing. But uh, presum- presumably not, although we'll we'll see. Maybe she, maybe she did. That could be your ending of the show. We talked before about how any Arthur episode could be the last Arthur episode if you treat it like that. So maybe after this episode, DW actually did inherit like $500,000 from Muffy and got super stinking rich. And now a word from us kids. And now a word from us kids. We're not in a classroom for this one. Kelsey and her friends are looking for antique toys at a real store. And this, and by real store, I mean you can go and do this. You can go to the store right now. It's still open. Oh, wow. It's Wal- Walden Street Antiques in Concord, Massachusetts. And well, I looked it up on, on Google. They are still uh, still open. Have you ever gone antiquing, Will? No, I haven't. Like, oh. I don't even really know what the process of antiquing involves. There's, um, I don't remember the exact location. We'll talk after the show. But there's like a, a strip kind of an hour outside of the city in Nova Scotia where there's all these antique stores right next to each other. And so, like, to go antiquing, you, like, kind of hit them all. Okay. And, but but it's it's just kind of, like, finding old stuff. Now, are you finding it to, with the intent to sell it? Or are you just kind of, like, finding stuff to find funny, weird, cool stuff? It's a, it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I mean, you can antique as a collector in order to, like, sell it for more money. Or sometimes you're antiquing, you're like, I'm looking for an end table. So... I want to buy, you know, a legitimate article, uh, an older end table rather than a new one. Or sometimes you're just on the hunt for hidden gems. Okay. Because, I I mean, I do occasionally, if you follow me on Twitter, I do like uh, going to, like, Value Village and stuff like that. But it's mostly just to find old, cool old DVDs and video games and toys and crap like that. Like, nothing. I'm not exactly going to turn these around for a profit. I, I don't have the patience for that. 
But these kids are getting some of their older toys in their family appraised. And I thought this was a really cool little sequence here where the kids talk about a lot of these toys that they're getting appraised have been in their family for a very long time. So there's two sisters. They have these dolls, these knit dolls from their Armenian grandmother. And they have the sentimental value through the roof, as well as another kid who has a board game that his grandpa gave him from China. And these and these toys, like they're really cool looking. You know, they show as well pictures of their grandparents along the way. Kelsey, who is the main girl on camera, shows a picture of her grandmother. They look exactly the same. And of course, they're in the same like they're from the same family. But it was just like it looks like you showed me a picture of Kelsey. It was like eerie how similar they looked but the real takeaway from this is and and like i was really surprised by this there's one kid who has this pair of soccer gloves like goalkeeper gloves i'm guessing um and he says his dad got them from playing in the 2006 world cup and the 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 person who works at the store is like oh yes uh that was a big year for trinidad in the world cup so this kid's father is just like a professional, potentially famous professional athlete. This is this is the kid who only has the only object that actually might be legitimately valuable. Because everybody else, it's like, okay, this is some handmade dolls from like my grandma made, and it's she sent them from another country. Or here's this Chinese checker set my grandfather sent me from another country, and those have great kind of personal value, which the antique store owner is quick to point out. Um, oh, you're sharing your culture. Uh, it, this is so great. Um, but in reality, you know, they're not turning a profit. These are the people who on Antiques Roadshow are walking away with nil, zip, nada. However, mm. the kid with the Trinidadian soccer gloves, um, those are, as the antique store owner points out, a legitimate part of sports history uh, and are probably actually worth money if he, they, he was to get them kind of graded uh, he, he could probably turn those for a profit, but of course he won't because they're his dad's, so. But, yeah, just a really cool, like, I always like when they do things that aren't necessarily set up in the classroom, when they go on little extracurricular, by which I mean, like, the Word From Us Kids segments. I like when they uh, think outside the box a little bit, and this was really interesting. And if anybody has any information about which soccer player uh, this kid's, uh, this kid's dad is, uh, let us know. I, or I guess football player. I'd, I'd, I'd be really interested if it's like somebody who's considered famous. Hi everybody, it's Lucas, your favorite co-host from Elwood City Limits. Um, I want to remind you folks that if you like listening to the podcast, first and foremost, the best way to spread the love is to tell a friend who is interested in Arthur or podcasts or animation or hearing about Nova Scotia for some reason. But there's some other things you could do as well. For instance, you can follow us on social media. Twitter is at ECL Podcast. The Instagram is at Elwood City Limits. My pet project, the Twitch channel, which we do live streams on sometimes, twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits Pod. And we also have a Facebook and Tumblr as well. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and youtube.com slash Elwood City Limits. That's where Will has been diligently uploading all of the episodes if they're not on your podcast listening service of choice. If they aren't on one of those services, let us know. You can reach out to us on social media or via email at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. 
Finally, the Patreon is where you can find all of our paywall content, patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. This gives you access to the Discord, where we have a bustling community, as well as some exclusive videos, audio bonuses, such as commentary for the various Arthur movies and more, as well as some of our additional podcasts for the kids, is where me and Will uh, cover all the PBS shows that aren't Arthur, as well as ECL Origins, where we really talk about any show from our childhood that we want. Uh, And most importantly, you get early access to every episode of ECL. You get to flex on your friends that you're getting it a week early. You can join for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. And now, back to the show. And then we go to Spar for the Course, which, so the the cold open of this is, I'll, I'll just describe essentially what the setup is, and then we can talk more about the details. Because Muffy starts by trying to introduce the show, then Buster thinks it's his turn to introduce the show, then Binky comes in to try and introduce it, and the episode is all about cooperation, so they're not cooperating with each other. So, we start this off, Muffy is at the Crosswire Motors lot. And she's treating it like it's a commercial for a used car dealership. She tries to sell us on a car called the Canberra Emu, which looks a bit like a lemon. I I don't know anything uh, if this is meant to look like a real car, but just the, the shape of it, it looks like it could be a little bit of a lemon. I disagree. I think the Canberra Emu looks... Uh, badass. I would love to be rolling around town in the Canberra Emu. Um, All right. Though I suppose the joke, yeah, is that it's an Australian vehicle, which I don't know if, if the Australians are known for their car manufacturing or their quality car manufacturing. Uh, but yeah, I would proudly drive around in a Canberra Emu. Depends on how much rust is underneath, I suppose. But uh, right, yeah. Um, so Buster is under the hood of this car and he, for his part of the cold open, he takes them to a galaxy called Centaurus A, which is over 10 million light years away and specifically to a planet called the Symbiosa, which is a planet where there's no fighting and where everyone loves each other. It's, uh, I, maybe it's just cause I was watching a bit of this recently. It was a little bit Rick and Morty ish in terms of the alien designs here. Just very, by which I mean like very colorful and imaginative, and the uh, a creature called the Octo Badger, which is uh, what did it remind me of? I uh, the, it felt very specific to like maybe it, there's like a certain maybe video game I'm thinking of. It almost looked like a Bug Snacks, where it's like it's this one-eyed creature with these four furry. Um, I'm, uh, sorry, I'm having such a hard time I th- describing. I'm thinking it. of like maybe Viva Pinata or something. Yeah. Or? Well, well, uh, just just describing it in general. It's a one-eyed monster with it's like these an octopus four... with one eye, and he's fuzzy. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. Uh, you got it. Uh, and of course, that's where the octo comes in, and it attaches itself to Muff- Muffy's head. And Buster says, "Aw, it just wants to nibble on your brain." And I'm just like, "Ah." Buster, stop being so blasé about this. <laughs> but it's okay. Bruiser Barnes comes to the rescue, which is Binky's professional wrestling uh, <laughs> um, persona. He saves Muffy, and he gets into a bit of a tussle with the Octo Badger. Gotta say, Binky's got a better elbow drop than CM Punk. 
I was thinking this reminds me of Kimi Kuman or uh, Ultimate Muscle. Uh, you know, so oh, yeah. intergalactic themed wrestling, which is a pretty specific niche. Uh, so interesting to see uh, crossover there between um, you know Arthur uh, and and yeah, wrestling aliens. Good GameCube oh. game too. Oh, dude, uh, I had I had that game for uh, for PS2. Oh yeah, uh, and man, Binky would love Kinikuman. He would be all about that. I hope he discovers it someday. Uh, so yeah, Binky is in this uh, wrestling th- uh, outfit, and then he transports them into a professional wrestling ring, which is his part of the cold open. <laughs> and Binky, while he's beating up this Octo Badger, he goes, "Don't worry, it's all fake." <laughs> which I was a little surprised at. They're out here breaking kayfabe on Exposing on the Arthur the show. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all in good fun, but I was just like, man, that's that's actually I did not expect Arthur the show to be like, yeah, wrestling's fake. <laughs> if the if the kids who are watching Arthur know it's fake, we don't have to be so precious about it, you know. And this is just this whole cold open is like, uh, there's three different ideas going on here, but it is about cooperation, and it actually has to do with mini golf, which is. I haven't done in a little while. We have like one mini golf place around here, and it's pretty good. I just kind of wish we had more options, you know? Yeah, you're talking about the glow in the dark one, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, there's other mini golf if you get outside of the city, but in the city, there's only indoor glow in the dark mini golf. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I should say, I wish we had more indoor options because, yeah, you're right. If you go, if you drive around Nova Scotia, there's actually probably a few uh, little mini golf places you can go to, but in terms of like, like yeah indoor mini golf the options are limited uh so binky buster muffy playing at the mini golf course they're on the 18th hole uh binky gives it a little too much mustard on that uh, on that swing and he accidentally breaks the windmill at the on the 18th hole so they report this to the owner of the mini golf course who is another new character here voiced by the same guy who voices freddie k uh mr shank is this guy's name Okay, so, folks, if yes. you thought Dave of Dave's Toy Store was going to be the throwaway character of the week, you are going to be sorely mistaken, Ooh. because Mr. Shank, my man Mr. Shank, is by and large the throwaway character of the week. And one of the reasons I like Mr. Shank is usually, you know, the Arthur world is a little bit kinder than our world. Um, the adults in the Arthur world are often benevolent and uh, helpful yeah. to the children, Mr. Shank is, without a doubt, a grade-A grifter, and he makes it <laughs> totally obvious that he is a, he's interested in one thing and one thing only, and that is his bottom line. Um, you know, he's talking about buying the cheapest windmill possible. He's talking about, you know, basically the kids have a proposal for Mr. Shank that they'll design the 18th hole because they're tired of it always being a windmill. And Mr. Shank only comes around when he realizes that it'll probably be good publicity. Like, he's not doing it out of the kindness of his heart for these kids. He's doing it because he thinks it'll help once again his bottom line. So, and and I like the voice, too. I'm a fan of Mr. Shank. I will say, just very quickly, uh, Mr. Shank, Freddie K, uh, voiced by an actor named Terrence Scammell. So, uh, yeah, he does a good job. Um, He has a couple of good lines in here. Again, Funny couple of episodes here um, when Buster, Binky and Muffy, sit, they don't, they don't want to have another windmill. So as, as you said, they get the chance to design a new 18th hole 
that they get about a week to put together before he's going to buy the big windy, the budget windmill. <laughs> and when the kids suggest that they try to make a new hole, uh, Mr. Shank says, who's going to design this? The mini golf elves? <laughs> mini golf elves just kind of like sideswiped me a little bit and I got a good giggle out of it. So these three have to come up with a design that the mini golf uh, that Mr. Shank can uh, create for the 18th hole. So they have three different ideas. They're all going over this at the Sugar Bowl. Uh, I will quickly note here, Binky is kind of tapping his pencil, and he says he's tapping the drum solo by Max Roach in the song Cherokee, which is a jazz song. You can look it up on YouTube. It's pretty good. And he he does seem to be tapping along with the with the drum part there. So let's talk about these ideas. The first one is Binky's. He wants to create a musical 18th hole where you start, the T is on top of a grand piano. You hit the ball onto a series of timpanis, a triangle, xylophone keys, and a cymbal. Then it drops into a clarinet and it triggers the last movement of the William Tell Overture. And in all three of these cases, these are like Disney-level productions here in terms of animatronics and designs and everything. Yeah, and, you know, I'm a little bit... I always have a soft spot for these episodes. This is a bit of common kind of episode format at this point in Arthur where the kids are given a creative task, like an ensemble is given a creative task, and we see everybody's kind of take on it, right? We have, going back to that infamous episode where they're all entering that contest, you know, to write an episode of a cartoon... Um, And I feel like there's the episode where they all make their own holiday. There's the episode, you know, there's countless. I feel like we just had one of these, actually. Um, But I don't find that these get as stale as some of the other formats that they go back to. Just because it's always nice when it's an ensemble episode because I feel like the writers get an opportunity themselves to be creative. And just see, Mm -hmm. okay, what, what what would every character's take on this be? Um, and I could really see this capturing the imagination as a kid. There is something about mini golf courses where as a child, while you're playing them, all you can seem to think about is designing your own mini golf course. Like, yeah, there's always, there's something about the mini golf course. Maybe it's because it's the same size of you as a child. You always feel like you could do it better or you could have these fantastical ideas of like the ultimate mini golf course. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, I could really see this kind of capturing a child's imagination uh, and having a lot of fun with this episode, despite it not having, like, a lot of meat to it besides this one bit. And, you know, the ending where they just kind of combine all their courses is it's, it's totally uh, predictable. Yeah, but it's we'll, we'll get into it when we get there, but yeah. I, liked, I, liked, I liked that too. So then we have Buster's idea, which is a 18th hole on the moon where the player stands in an exact replica of the astronaut Alan Shepard's footprints. He was the first American in space. And you try to hit the ball into a tractor beam that is coming out of a flying saucer, all while avoiding aliens. And then Buster goes a little bit far. He thinks that it could be in zero gravity, which Binky has to remind him means that everything would be floating. It would be way harder. And finally, Muffy's idea, which is a leisurely drive through the country back to your castle. So you have to hit the ball into a hole, it goes into this tiny little car that goes through a model of the Swiss Alps, then it returns to your castle, the robot butler picks it up from the car and deposits it into the hole. Now, Lucas, which which of these did you like best? Well, I definitely liked Muffy's the least, because though... Oh, really? Well, because be- though it's impressive, you know, it's actually... 
it's not an interactive golf course. Like, you have to get it through the mountain, sure. But the actual difficult part of getting it into the hole is kind of mitigated by the, the golf car butler, right? So it, it would be impressive to see in real life, but it would kind of, in terms of mini golf game theory, uh, probably be the less, least difficult. Um, and the 18th hole is supposed to be the hardest one. That's why it's always a windmill. It's because the windmill is so hard to time. Um, I think that probably Buster's, uh, and, and it's, in fact, the mini golf course that you were just referring to, Will, the one that we have locally, kind of goes a similar way as, it, as you go further along, it gets more space-themed. I feel like the last few holes of that one are kind of in a similar theme. Uh, and, you know, Bickey's was creative, too. I like the idea of, like, a musical mini golf course. But yeah, I was kind of being a hater for, uh, Muffies. It would certainly be impressive to see the animatronics, but I, I feel like it would be just not that fun to play. I gotta be real with you. I think Muffy's was my favorite. I, it's, you know, I think it's the idea of just the little like it, the. I like a clockwork machine, and you're right. There isn't a whole lot of interactivity with hers, but I love. I like. I love a little small car taking your ball. I love the little robot butler taking it to the hole. Like I just thought that was. I was enchanted by that. I really liked that. Uh, I liked. I liked all three of them, and uh, I would say uh, probably Buster's the least, just because the concept itself didn't wasn't even really finished in his own head. Uh, but still, some cool ideas in there, and Binky's was probably the best in terms of just cohesion and bringing it all together. Uh, of course, they all disagree over what it should be. Um, Muffy at one point refers to Buster's idea is as goofy, and Buster says, there is nothing goofy about space travel. We get the second race in this episode. Uh, they're all at the Sugar Bowl, and they decide that, well, whoever gets there first to tell Mr. Shank their idea is probably the one he'll go with. So they they race to tell Mr. Shank their idea first. It's not as protracted as the first race. And they all kind of get there at the same time and try to breathlessly tell him. Um, and then Mr. Shank refuses these ideas and he decides to go with a windmill. But they protest and he says, if you can come up with a great idea, I'll give you one more day. But it has to be a unified idea. And they hash it out for a little while, and they do eventually come together into a unified idea, which is a musical castle on the moon. Now, I was figuring this is probably where the episode was going to wrap up, but I'm glad that it wasn't. This is my favorite part of the episode right here. So they decide on the idea by combining the parts that they like of the three ideas they had previously, but then they go a step further. They go to Muffy's garage, which we first saw when she was designing that um, that uh, that uh, go-kart racer that she had. And they create a model, a working model in Muffy's garage of the hole, and they test it out. And what I really liked here is that they try to incorporate all the ideas with, with materials that they could feasibly have as mm. kids. But they don't get it right the first time. They don't just do a montage and be like, there, it's perfect. They actually test it out and be and. So the first time they do it, they realize that they can't actually get the ball through to where it needs to go. So they have to change the way that it knocks against the xylophone keys. They have to continually, like, take things out or move them around. And they create a better version of it. I thought that was really cool in a way that I love it when you can watch even a cartoon and be like, I could make that at home. You totally could make this at home. I uh, and I, yeah, I like seeing the kids 
kind of like through trial and error working on the engineering of a mini golf course. Yeah. It's just a fun mental exercise. You kind of feel like you're doing it with them. And so that's kind of why this episode doesn't feel stale despite this kind of being well-worn territory. Like Again, everybody designing their soapbox car. I feel like we've had over 10 episodes like this in Arthur. Um, but they are continuing to keep it fresh. I also kind of figured that they would come up with these ideas and even if they went with one that was similar to the ideas that they got, that eventually it would just be like, ah, well, you know, they 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 do like a low budget version of their idea. Really, the final hole that they go with, they present this idea to Mr. Shank. The final idea of the hole is like, he spent some money on this. Well, it's okay, not. So this is a little yeah. bit of the the. Uh, sorry, folks. CinemaSin, There's a uh, plot <laughs> hole here, which is that <laughs> Mr. Shank only agreed to this because the kids said that they would do the parts and materials. So I suppose this makes sense if in our headcanon, Muffy financed putting oh, this yeah. into practice. Yeah, because it yeah. doesn't make sense that Mr. Shank, you know, bought all this stuff. The kids. I thought the kids were going to end up building the final version, but I, I assume that, you know, they designed it maybe, and then Muffy contracted this out. Best not to think about it too much. No, I, 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 think, that, I think that's a fair hand wave. I didn't think about it that way, but of course. They, like, they designed the original prototype in Muffy's garage, so it makes sense that she would want to uh, see it through. But yeah, because the final thing involves, like, um, putting over the surface of the moon then it goes over xylophone keys and a car takes it to the hole but the final touch is that the addition of a rocket shaped windmill at the end and we end the episode with mr shank telling some stranger the windmill was my idea while everybody everybody claps i i i I thought a lot of that was really cool i'm and now let's uh talk about it in full let's uh revisit these two episodes Lucas, Arthur's Toy Trouble, um, what did you think? Arthur's Toy Trouble, uh, I thought was fun. Again, this is an episode that you would worry kind of veers into well-tread territory. Think about all the toy episodes we've had. Um, episodes based off action figures, woozles. Um, but we've never really tackled collectibles and, and rarity in the Arthur universe. And I think this was a pretty accurate portrayal of the experience. I remember getting my Pokemon cards from childhood priced out. And they were like, yeah, if these were in mid condition, these would probably be worth like $900. But because there's uh-huh. scratches on them and stuff, you could probably sell them on Facebook Marketplace for $150, bucks. Um, and so it was pretty accurate to that experience. Um, and I also liked all the other, I liked kind of the rising action and drama of like, okay, are they going to be able to, is Arthur going to be the one to get the toy or is Muffy going to get it? Um, kind of Arthur's bartering at the last stage and then the kind of ironic ending of it, it didn't end up being worth money regardless. And I liked kind of the other elements at play, the dream sequence that the episode starts with. I think it's one of the better kind of creepier, more unsettling modern Arthur dream sequences we've seen. Um, and I think the toy itself is pretty creative too. All the jokes that they fit in about it being a, an accountant monster. Um, there's mm. a bunch of one that they kind of say under their breath at the end of the episode that are fairly funny. So I enjoyed it. What about you, Will? Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad that you, uh, that you mentioned how weird and uncanny that opening dream sequence is. I, sometimes we can be a bit hard on this animation style, but it is hard to capture that in, in anything, the the way that dreams feel, and I th- and I think that they did that pretty much bang on, uh, right there. 
I liked this. I, I thought this was I thought this was a lot of fun, and I I kind of had the thought to myself while I was watching it because sometimes um, Arthur talks about things that are um, important to kids of all ages or kids of the time, and then every once in a while you get an episode that's like. I think this is something the writers are as much interested in as kids would be. So, like, action figure and collectibles and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't know how many kids are really that interested in that. But that's okay. I mean, that means I I certainly had fun thinking about this. Even though I'm not much of a collectibles person. Um, it was interesting to introduce this to Arthur and have a little bit of fun with it. Uh, in terms of uh, the value of something and the yeah the design of the toy was fun. This is a this is a trio. Both of these stories have trios that we wouldn't necessarily think of going together, but in this one, Muffy's the natural antagonist, and they definitely play that up and have a bit of fun with it. There's some funny side characters like Freddie K and David of David's Toys, and yeah, I I just thought this this was a this is a bit of old fun. Um, I would also say the same thing about Spar for the Course, but I would go a little bit further with that because I actually quite like this episode uh, because of, well, first of all, any Arthur episode that has wrestling in it um, gets a big point for me. Uh, I love that it's based around mini golf because I love mini golf. And the idea of teamwork is not new to Arthur, but this was a novel way to approach it. We get to be really, really creative with imagining what the visions of these three characters would be, Buster, Binky, and Muffy, and directing that towards a a mini golf course. And ultimately, I think it came together into something that is, you know, it's not just like, oh, if you cooperate, then you can come up with a, if you cooperate and compromise, you come up with a great idea. It's like, we already kind of know that. But with this one, it's like, you know, you could do this yourself. And it's like, yeah, I I could. And thinking about how big concepts, like when you're when you're a kid, I know Lucas, you said that like when you're a kid, you think about how you could make your own mini golf course. But I think maybe maybe just me. When I was a kid, I would take a look at that and be like, I don't even have the concept to understand how somebody would make this other than it just appeared out of thin air. But with this, it's like, no, people make these things. They come together and they design them. And it doesn't go into the nitty gritty of how these are made, but it does help to put the, I'd like to think it puts the idea in the head of kids that like, oh yeah, you can totally make stuff like this. You and your friends, you just have to kind of know what you want to do and have the materials and yeah, you could totally do it. So I, I I liked that that was the takeaway from this, and this much like uh, Arthur's Toy Trouble, this was was funny, uh, fun to look at. Like I, yeah, I, I I quite liked this. Yeah, I mean I agree as well. I think that we're seeing both kind of visually uh, and in the writing that even though Arthur is kind of rehashing some well-worn territory, they're still able to be creative in the details and the character work, um, even creative in just basic design elements of like, okay, what would these courses look like in this episode? So this is kind of an episode format we've seen time and time again, and it's not gotten old. You know, it's kind of the anti-dogged baby. Give me a hundred, you know, episodes mm. where the ensemble cast is like, I, we're going to each make a song. We're each going to design a car, you know, whatever. I, I want to see... 
everybody in the cast take on pretty much everything. So until it gets stale, I'm happy with this episode and any episodes they come up like it. I'm I'm really glad that we that we both enjoyed this episode because I. I like when we enjoy episodes, but it's always interesting to find out like what it is that we like about it. And it's because it's never the same answer twice, usually, or at least not twice so close together. So, yeah, I, I think we needed this kind of injection into this season and we're uh, really we're really rolling now. We're really into it. So thank you very much for joining us for this episode. I'm really glad that uh, we could continue to come together. And uh, well, Lucas, j- just to let you know, we do have a couple more of these before before the year is over. So okay. we'll be in December for a bit longer. I, I, I feel like maybe it was because it was a Patreon episode we were recording where we were like, it's the last one before Christmas. But don't worry, I've, I've got my time machine figured out. I know where we are now in the calendar. No more... Uh, I won't be wishing you a happy new where new year will until it's actually the new year. I mean, you can do that anytime, but it will. Okay. Yeah, let's we can save the energy of that for a couple of episodes from now. No, we're going to keep going for as December uh, rolls on. We're only in the beginning here, or at least depending on when you hear us, we're still in the first half. So, yeah, you'll be hearing a couple of new ECL episodes before the year is over. Uh, of course, patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. We've got a little bit of new content coming there this month, and then we'll be getting right back into it in January with some cool new stuff planned for the year ahead. And if you're going to be watching Arthur's Perfect Christmas, don't forget to look up our commentary. You can find it easily by searching for it on YouTube, Arthur's Perfect Christmas Commentary, but you can also find it in podcast form on the Patreon, on the free feed. You can type it into Google. It will be there. So hope you enjoy that seasonal offering from Arthur. Coming up on the next episode of Elwood City Limits, we're going to be talking about Carried Away and Dueling Detectives. Now, the most spoiling of myself that I do is that I look ahead and kind of look at what the slug line, the description of the episode is. I'm going to get right out in front of this just because I wouldn't want it to be a surprise. Uh, Lucas, we're heading back into dog and baby territory next time. No! My New so, Year's wish is no more dog and baby episodes. Well, no! yeah, make that your New Year's wish because it's not going to come true in time before we hit 2024. So, who, like, <laughs> putting my hands together and being like, maybe this one will be the last one. Maybe this one will be the last one. And hey, maybe it won't be all that bad. <laughs> The only way we can find out is by recording the next episode of ECL, which we will be doing very soon. Thanks a lot for joining us for this episode and hope your holidays are fun and as stress-free as possible and are continuing to be that. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... As a veteran referee of holiday toy disputes... (laughs) We'll see you next time. He was like, he had King Solomon's wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) The muck monster shall be cut in half. <laughs> <laughs>